0: Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. For any new listeners who don't know what to expect, in each episode, I interview an expert on an emerging area of public relations. I get to the facts, but I leave out the jargon. It's a podcast about marketing, but it's in plain language. No, really, it is. (laughs) Welcome back to all of my regular listeners too. If any of you have any comments or questions, just tweet me at Stella Bales. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify and on iTunes, whatever you listen on at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. Steph Bridgman has been solely focused on measuring the success of public relations for 25 years. She set up her business experienced media analysts 20 years ago now. And since then, she's been helping hundreds of PR teams prove their value, win new work and budgets and win awards. In fact, she's often the person behind the scenes analysing and writing most of the Amec award entries that win. So it's safe to say, Steph knows her stuff. In this interview, we look back at some of those 20 years and the major changes that we've seen in measurement. But importantly, Steph shares what it takes today in measurement to not just impress the award judges, but those senior stakeholders so we can help win budget that we actually deserve first of all steph wanted to say and point out that she really agrees with stephen waddington on my last podcast around the fact that there is a misalignment in what pr believes as great outcomes and impacts and what those senior business leads see as good outcome and impact so we talk about that it's why steph believes that actually measurement isn't just about tech and analytical skills Measurement really needs senior business experience and knowledge. So it should be across all levels in an organization. But as well as share her opinion on where we're at as an industry, Steph also gets practical and what we can do to enhance our measurement process. So including what a team can do if they're struggling to look beyond just PR outputs. She also provides really clear examples of what outputs are and what outcomes are and the difference between them. We also explore that word, impact, and what should and shouldn't be included as a metric there. It's really important, that one. Steph shares how to review technology you might be using. And when we are swimming in a world of data, what is necessary and what can be cut out? Finally, she shares how to find hidden gems of skills around your organisation and how to get them involved and help you analyse and visualise your results. This conversation really is an amazing insight on where we're at as an industry, but also it's really a practical masterclass on how to measure this year and hopefully by the end of the year, win yourself an award. Here's Steph.
1: Thanks for having me back, Stella. So yeah, it's been a while actually,
0: isn't it? When were you last on the podcast? Can you remember?
1: Yeah, we were sitting side by side in person. We had Mike Claver with us from Cometric. We were at the PL Week Measurement Conference, and I think it was two thousand and twenty-one. And we were talking about sentiment and how it's approached from a media evaluation point of view.
0: Mm. I wonder if that's moved on. We'll come on to that. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, well, we were catching up, and
0: we realised that we're both celebrating some birthdays in one way or another. I'm actually approaching being 40 very soon, but we won't talk about that. (laughs) Your coverage book is actually 10 years old this year, which is unbelievable. But which is more surprising is that experienced media analysts is approaching a birthday as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just coming up to 20 years of um, setting And I've been in the industry for 25 years and I've been running my own limited company for 20 of those years. And so, yeah, really excited to be celebrating this milestone. And thank you, Stella and Coverage Book, for being on that journey with me for half of that time since you set up 10 years ago.
0: Well, I mean, obviously we know each other well and anyone who's involved in PR measurement will know exactly who you are. But for the listeners who might not be as involved in the PR measurement world and don't know the person who is often behind some of the big Amec award wins. (laughs) Could you just give a little bit of an explanation about what experienced media analysts do and how people work with you in the PR industry?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we started off serving the media intelligence industry. So we provide freelance flexible teams to media intelligence companies. We help them to, I call it, upskill and scale up their teams because very much involved in training and education initiatives as well. So we work with media valuation companies. You know, resourcing in that industry is tough because you never really know how much work there's going to be until the Printing presses go to print, so to speak, using an old fashioned terminology there. And so one has to have flexible freelance teams to be able to support the completely unpredictable workload which has been made easier, actually, with automation and with AI. We're going to probably talk about that a little bit later on. But we now also work with PR agencies. Many PR agencies are in a fortunate position to have their own analytics divisions and departments. But there are some perhaps smaller agencies, medium-sized agencies that haven't yet taken that first step to hire a person or to hire a team. And so they sometimes will get us involved either to represent them as a measurement associates or to upskill their team or do training workshops with them. And we also work with in-house comms departments as well. Some of the work we've been doing recently with in-house comms departments is supporting them on RFPs. So when they're looking for evaluation and media monitoring providers, we can provide them with Kind of guidance and support and administrational support to go look for the best of breed in that particular industry so it's so a really varied industry and supported by an amazing team of freelance media analysts many of whom have been working in the industry for 20 or 25 years so that's why we decided to call ourselves experienced media analysts that's what it says on the tin. <laughs>
0: I love it. You mentioned there that some of the teams, to some of the agencies that you're working with now do have data and analytics people involved in the PR agency there. So over the 20 years, has that been something that's changed or do you feel that some of the bigger agencies always had that kind of skill set?
1: I feel it's a development that's come along probably in the past 10 years. uh, Times go by and perhaps I'll be corrected by some of the teams who may have been in existence for, for longer than that. But it's very much a trend that we are seeing is that the agency voice within media evaluation conversations is increasingly important. They're often the ones that have that direct communication also with the client and are there advising them. So it's really important that those in the agency world a part of these measurement conversations that we have in the industry. And they're they're often some of the partners that are helping us to innovate and keep things fresh and exciting. I know we've spoken in the past about the great work that the team at Gollin do. And, uh, you know, Johnny and his team are really good at helping us over in the industry sort of think about what we should be doing, and what clients are demanding and what good measurement is. So I think the agencies have got a really important voice in the ecosystem around evaluation, oh. for sure. Really exciting to see the great work that they've been doing and winning many, many awards at the Amec Awards too. forgot to say, of course, in the introduction that I also support Amec as a board member. So are very much involved on a pro bono basis. there, supporting many of their initiatives
0: just thinking about the amec awards 20 years is a long time to see how PR measurement has progressed what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen in those 20 years and whether we're thinking about the the winners of awards and what they're actually proving or you know techniques that they might be using is there anything that sort of stood out that has actually changed
1: it's definitely about a market that has matured one of my claims to fame is I at the, I think the very first Amec awards which was probably It was probably just over 20 years ago, because I remember writing them just after I came back from maternity leave, and it won a gold and a platinum award winner there. So I've been able to win sort of the beginning of the Amec Awards and had some more recent successes in recent years. And I think it's very much particularly guided by the information from Amec around Frameworks and so on, it's got a structure to it now. There's a clarity around how we report. There's a consistency across different agencies about data and how results should be presented. So I think it's definitely been a story of maturity. It's also just generally in the industry, I think, been a story about automation. Thinking back in the day, we used to have paper cuttings in the 90s and the Addison League cabs would crisscross London at four in the morning with the press cuttings. I mean, just think of all the money that's being saved on cab fees now without boxes of cutting having to be crisscross London. Yeah, it's about automation because none of that information has to be presented to you on a hard copy press cutting anymore. Everything comes to your systems pre-populated. The data is already filled in on databases. You don't have to type in a headline onto a database anymore. It comes pre-populated in API feeds from media monitoring providers and social monitoring providers and so on. It's also I think been very much a story about globalised teams, much cross-collaboration across the world, across different functions and so it's kind of doesn't really matter whereabouts in the world that you live. You can look in this into and and be doing so on beach in Bali if you want to. And I think it's very much been also about looking beyond media coverage. I think that's one of the biggest changes that's happened in the past 20 years. When I first started, we were purely reporting on media coverage. And to a certain extent, that can be considered just one of the many outputs of communication activity. But there are so many other outputs and activities that agencies and organisations carry out to to achieve reputational impacts for their clients. And so it's really about blended data sets. It's about looking at other things too. It's about looking at search, for example, it's looking at econometric data around how particularly PR is functioning against other parts of marketing. It might be looking at looking at, at another data set altogether, you know, comparing media coverage against share price or looking just more generally against competitors. And because of the automation and actually the proliferation of content and the speed at which we can access this content now. Again, we're not waiting for the Addison Lee Minicab to bring the hard copy cuttings to us. I don't know why I keep saying that particular taxi firm because many others. <laughs> but it, I think it was then that was I think the, when the PR industry <laughs> changed. Addison Lee went out went of business. business. Yeah, well, it was overall <laughs> yeah.
0: when retainers on. turned into projects. Yeah, Addison yeah. Lee went out of
1: business. Yeah, uh, is the uh, minicab industry directly correlated? With the, uh, industry. That's a graph uh, we need to do. Yeah. So it's been about blended data sets and I think that's one of the interesting roles that I've been able to play perhaps as an independent in the industry and uh, not wedded to a particular press cuttings agency, media evaluation agency, is I've been able to get more excited about bringing some of these different data sets together because I'm independent of all of those data sets and I'm kind of there working with organisations to kind of gather that data and make sense of it when it comes together. So I think there's some of the kind of key trends in 20 years. It's definitely an industry that is very fast-paced and requires kind of a sort of need for lifelong learning because it's impossible to keep up really with the pace of change that's going on. I feel, I don't know if people that work in the PR industry feel the same, but I feel that we're constantly, constantly learning and we need to reflect on how much we don't yet know and how much we still need to learn. Even those of us that consider ourselves to be specialists.
0: Can can PR teams? prove the impact of their work without the help of data experts, whether that be you or in-house teams?
1: Yeah, I believe so. And there's great work being done in-house. And actually some of the most rewarding work that I have done in recent years has been those collaborations with those in-house teams. The in-house teams actually have access to the most useful parts of the data set, which is the data set that talks about outcomes and impact It's often that proprietary, very sensitive data about well, what happened next as a result of the comms activity. And so in-house teams have the ability to tell, I think, a better data story if they collaborate either with their measurement agencies or with their PR agencies to perhaps reveal some of those anecdotes around communications outcomes and impact. But there's so much that you don't have to be a specialist in this industry to to take meaning from from the media signals that you're receiving. You know, most organisations are going to have media monitoring in place. Most organisations will have some element of social listening in place. All of that's going to be bringing to that organisation a stream of information. And it's about whether that in-house team has the time and the resources to process a lot of that information. And sometimes they can work with specialists to help actually to sort of help make a start, because I think with many organisations, we've gone from an era of sort of a scarcity of data to an abundance of data. So it's about knowing actually where to focus, because with some organisations, there's just too many mentions out there. Where do they direct their attention? It's about working with specialists to do clever things quickly with tools and automation and AI and um, NLP, you know, all that kind of clever stuff that goes on with analyzing media, uh, words in media, sentiment and all that kind of stuff. I think sometimes some of the really interesting work around data visualization is often best supported with outside support as well, unless an organization has particularly good data visualization or kind of design skills in-house. I think a lot of what we're seeing recently is the ability to tell a really compelling story through pictures or through data rather than through words. You know, we're increasingly communicating as consumers actually through pictures and through the audio visual. And I think that's the way sort of things are changing perhaps more in the measurement sense too, is that a really compelling graphic that tells a really interesting data story simply and clearly on one page is where a lot of organisations are trying to head to now rather than spewing these 100-point data reports, you know, where we've got an abundance of metrics and actually then being able to make sense of, well, which is the key metric to back to the team.
0: Yeah, because to the people that matter, read pages and pages of a report. <laughs> question we don't know you i know, know and i business think this owner
1: for example but that's the challenge isn't it often when you're working on a report and you're there you may decide to present a client with data only or you might present a client with data plus pictures but then you might also add some commentary to it and it's about understanding what that commentary should say and it's much harder to write in a commentary why something happened and what should happen next as a result of the data Mm. than it is to just write a piece of commentary that describes what the data shows. I think that's kind of where the shift in my work has come in the past 20 years, is explaining that why and that sort of which means that part of the sentence so that people can get more meaning from that data. Uh, It's about understanding the data in context.
0: Just you talking through what is needed to actually tell a success story. You've talked about analysing the data, put, drawing insights, visualising. feels like there's some quite different skill sets there already so it does feel like you would need to work with some experts in that area are there other skills if you know we're talking to we've got some agencies listening to this podcast now who are saying 2024 we are going for it with pr measurement what skill sets do i need to either hire or find externally to really go on this journey and to i want to win an amic award at the end of the year for example you know what kind of skills are needed
1: I think one of the things that helps me, and it sort of picks up on a point that Stephen Waddington made on your last podcast, is around this kind of misalignment of language around what perhaps leaders within an organisation, the language that they use, and a slight misalignment with perhaps some of the language that we use in comms, PR, and in measurement. One of the things that I did to remedy that myself having run my own company but not been a leader of a major organisation, was that I thought, well, I needed to learn what it feels like to be a leader in a major organisation. One of the ways I could do that was supporting Amec, but also I became a non-executive director of a multi-million pound, it was a further education college in the northwest of England. Through that, that gives me the understanding of how busy leaders of big organisations report and the kind of language that they use. Luckily, it was in the education sector. So, of course, the education sector actually does speak similar language to the AMEC language. They talk about outputs and outcomes. They talk about impact. But that gave me that clarity when working with tools such as the AMEC framework to have the confidence that the terminology that the AMEC framework was bringing to the conversation is the same kind of terminology that other business leaders are using across different sectors. And I think that's one of the joys of the AMEC framework is it wasn't invented just for AMEC, that that kind of concept of process evaluation and business evaluation is common across industries. So, So I think it's really about... Taking the opportunity, if you can, to take on some kind of leadership role, whether that's in a pro bono or voluntary capacity. In the UK, you can become a school or college governor, for example. They're crying out for people with our skills, particularly particularly if we're women, particularly if we're of a certain age group and so on. So we come with all of the skills plus all of the comm skills too. We can give back a lot to society from that point of view, but we can learn as professionals What the leaders of those busy organisations are looking to expose me to things like risk. I was on the audit committee. I was exposed to things like risk registers. You understand the kind of conversations that are then happening at board level. And you also begin to realise the extent to which... Busy leaders do not engage with a 50-page report. <laughs> it all needs to be setting one page top level in three bullet points at the beginning of an executive summary. Yeah. And so I think that that helps to sharpen the mind as to what you're reporting on mm. and trying to find some simple but sensible recommendations on a case-by-case basis when you're looking at your evaluation to make those reports more meaningful. So, it's, yeah, it's about yeah. learning the language of the ballroom by just trying the boardroom out in a different context yeah. and then most people writing media evaluation reports or account execs in PR agencies have not got that kind of leadership experience so how mm. can one expect to, no. to produce
0: this podcast is brought to you by coverage book the tool that creates beautifully designed reports with credible metrics you can be proud of head to coveragebook.com for your free trial It's such good advice just there. And you've taken me back to a time when I was agency sides and had been through 15 years of a career and being briefed budget being handed to the agency from a pr director asking for pr metrics so therefore you report on pr metrics back that's what your report looks like but then of course if that report gets hit forwards to different areas of that business it's not going to have the land in the same way if it's not if we're talking a different language but it's not always everybody's fault if that's what the pr director is asking for but i remember being placed in-house at one of my clients for a number of months, huge, huge retailer. And that was the first exposure of the board and the language. And actually, they don't really don't care about the, all of the different PR metrics to, that we had been using. And yeah, and it was at that moment, we we're like, let's do two versions of this, actually. Let's just do a slightly different graph, which may be forwarded on to different people. Still do the PR report, but that was just like, yeah, we need to... Start talking about the sales teams and how we're helping them, or the different areas of that business, because PR does affect loads of different areas of the business, doesn't it? Which is always, I know that you've talked about some of those metrics with outcomes, because even just the word outcome can be confused sometimes, can't it? With what level of outcome are we talking about?
1: Yeah, what outcomes is, is one of the terms in the AMAC framework. So if you think about the AMAC framework, it breaks a campaign or the PR planning process down into its constituent parts. So it has things like objectives, inputs, activities, outputs, outtakes, outcomes, and impact. So I think it's seven categories. The three ones in the middle that get everybody confused are the three O's: the outputs, the outtakes, and the outcomes. I think of it from the point of view of see, think, do. So the outputs is often the things that you see, the cuttings, the articles, the volumes, the things that you can count. The outtakes are generally things that reflect kind of how people think. So it could be things around the sentiment of that media coverage or that content. It could be around the messages conveyed in that content. And then the outcomes are more around what they do as a result of that media coverage. So it could be the actual actions that they took. It could be the buttons that they clicked as a result of seeing something digitally. It could be a result of the searches that they do that happen afterwards on Google because they were exposed to that media activity. It could be the fact that they downloaded a report or that they registered for a webinar or they came to your open day or they attended a community event or so on and so forth so mm. i think of it from the point of view, see think do i think that makes that distinction around those three o's much simpler for people to understand
0: and the word impact is similar as well isn't it it's like Impact gets used a lot when we're trying to impress and say, yeah, we had major impact. But what was that impact? Again, it could be different types of outcomes from the PR activity. But then how a senior business leader or business owner might say, what impact did that have to my business? May, again, be something different to what we're talking about with impact with PR, isn't it? So it's just understanding what their opinion is, maybe.
1: Yeah, it's understanding yeah, what they mean by that. And it's also remembering that sometimes PR and comms folk are able to report on some things quickly and other things more slowly. And there's often a desire to come to that impact metric quickly because we can turn around <laughs> these coverage reports much quicker, particularly if we're using Coverage Book and so on <laughs> to speed up the process. You know, you can't report on the impact of a campaign on the second working day following the end of the month. You have to sometimes wait for some time to go by. If you're working in a campaign to get more females into STEM education, you've got to wait pretty much a whole generation to see the impact of that work. And so there's this kind of disconnect between the speed at which some clients want to see some things. And I think PR agencies should be honest and open when speaking with prospects about the time it takes for certain impacts to take effect. More and more PR agencies are seeing work on a project basis, I hear, than, than on a retained basis. When they were on retainers, clients were sometimes unhappy that they didn't see results in the first three months, but that's often down to that, perhaps, conversation that wasn't had at the beginning with the client about what is realistic in terms of the time it takes for impact to take effect. Because You know, you can have short term wins with PR coverage, but you can have longer term wins as well. We see short term wins in terms of people clicking onto a website, clicking through from social media posts to a particular client's website. But actually, there are longer term wins. You know, some of that great content stays online for a while and gets surfaced as search engine results for organic searches around a different topic. So a piece of coverage from three years ago could still be having an impact on your brand now in an unattended kind of way. So it's just kind of reflecting on those kind of two different speeds, I suppose, and the investing.
0: Really good advice for people who are looking at the year ahead and thinking about PR measurement. Do you find that with the people that you're working with, the PR teams you work with, that you are helping them do both of those elements, or does it totally depend on the campaign that that you're reviewing?
1: To a large extent, we're supporting them with the outputs and outtakes element of the measurement and we are encouraging them to provide us with the data that helps lead us to assess some of that outcome and impact measurement so we're generally always speaking to them about for example giving access giving us access to their google analytics because there are so many signals there that can be gleaned and and obviously that's sort of almost immediate real-time access to data and if if clients can give us access to the google analytics one can go on a journey of discovery to find out why something happened so some of the metrics you might look at in google analytics to, to understand the impact of commerce activity is perhaps is there an increase in organic search to your website because perhaps there was media coverage people searching for your brand is there an increase in referral traffic because if there's for example a link in a piece of coverage in the daily mail people might be clinking through to that and that's going to be showing up in your referral traffic are there more return visitors to your site i.e have you got a loyal audience are they coming back for more Are there new visitors to your site? I.e. have you got new eyeballs? All of these things can be gleaned from Google Analytics. Also things like time on site. I always find it really fascinating that one can report back. You know, you might be reporting on the performance of, say, some blog content on a client's website. And one might see that the average time on site for that blog content is higher than average for other parts of the site. So that means that those that are coming to read that blog are interested in staying there. And for somebody to be staying on a website for some minutes reading something shows actually that they are interested and engaged because otherwise we just bounce off and and go off and do something else. So the metrics around the time on site can be really valuable. There are other ways in which we work with clients too. It's really about encouraging them to be curious about what the media signals could tell them. It's about encouraging them to ask us the right questions in the first place. So when a client briefs comes to us, if it's got a very specific research question, then we can give them a very specific research answer or disprove it if the data shows something other. And I think that's where the most kind of interesting insights come to light when you've got a really specific question, not just can you evaluate our campaign, please, how did it do, but, you know, to what extent did we increase our... You know, reach in a particular media type, or engage with more journalists, or increase our yeah. media sentiment. So those kind of specific questions, and that feeds back to Amex' desire for more and more organisations to have smart objectives, common objectives in the first place. So they've got to be specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and time bound. Sorry, I just had to yes. test myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think <laughs> we got those. Right. Yeah, it's about knowing that it's possible to bring many different data sets together and knowing it's possible to sometimes chart many different things on a chart together and see correlations and patterns when overlaying different data patterns together. So it comes from a confidence in building.
0: So it feels like it's a good time of year for people to be starting this journey and thinking about different data points that you've mentioned because even with the graphs that you've talked about, We both know that we've been talking about graphs recently because our team's been working on some new technology, which we can come on to. But it's really important to be able to just sort of show what happened before your campaign or your work, what happened after to actually show some kind of impact, isn't it? Like, you know, that sort of flat, hopefully a peak of some kind and then flat. So like benchmarking at this time of year, feels like it would be quite important. Do do your team do that?
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of clients starting on a 2024 measurement programme, but as part of that, they build into a 2023 retrospective because you can't really look at performance this year when they're understanding how performance was in previous years. So benchmarks and past data and over time data and trends, I think are really important. I think any kind of data point when presented out of context is actually quite meaningless. So to be able to know that something was Twice as likely to do this, or five times the level of what's normal, or this is particularly high, particularly low. You can only really say that if you know the past trends. And I think some of the challenges that organizations have had with that in the past is the ability to gather that historic data. And that's so much easier now. There's a lot more readily available data. It's kind of cheaper to acquire, cheaper to store, and cheaper to process. But then also, just from a practical level, perhaps at a PR agency level, it's about that skill level of actually having two data sets and then how do you plot them on the same graph? I know how to do it because I do it in Excel when you put one thing on one axis and one thing on another axis, but it's complex. But things are becoming easier nowadays because there are more tools that help you to blend those two data sets together. You can effectively, I imagine, and lots of charting tools, block a load of data into one column and block a load of data into another, and it's able to see where there are links between those two data sets. something you've been working on
0: yes. at the moment. I mean, anyone who's actually watching this interview would have noticed me saying, I don't, but for any of the audio... <laughs> listeners. Yeah, I mean any coverage book users know that you just get the report and then you can also download a CSV. That We, a little while ago, did some work on that CSV after a lot of people who were trying to do this job that we're talking about, build graphs and trying to come to some kinds of insights at the end of the year, said that we needed to have better columns and different things. So we were looking at that. And then we're like, actually, yeah, I want to build a graph of coverage. I tried to do it with some coverage book coverage, actually. And I really struggled. I couldn't do it. (laughs) There you go. Big admission of somebody who talks about PR measurement. I can't work with pivot tables. I find it really, really hard. Yeah, and it did sort of lead us on to quite a big sort of journey of like, well, who does? And there's, you know, Your team clearly can, and there's lots of other teams who we've been talking about, data and analytics teams who have people who are, yeah, data literate and great in Excel and sheets and build graphs really easily, but it's not that easy. And especially when people are thinking about skill sets for the year and how to get better in measurement, it's a small detail, but actually massive detail in how to visually communicate your success. So, yeah, thanks, Steph. We as a coverage book team are working on something at the moment, which you will hear more about soon which will remove the needs to mess around with pivot tables, at least. So, yeah, that is coming soon. But, I mean, in terms of, I mean, you've talked about so many different types of skills that are needed. It's not just somebody who can build graphs. It's like looking at knowing what the objectives are, how to tell the story. But it does feel like that that was quite a blocker for a lot of people that we spoke to.
1: Yeah, and sort of building on that idea of understanding data in context, it's also being able to perhaps put some words around that context because sometimes people consume data in completely different ways, don't they? And our audiences are going to be varied and they're going to learn in different ways. I've seen evaluation reports presented as a five-minute YouTube clip and I thought that was actually a really interesting way of doing it because many people absorb information in that visual way and don't like reading charts or just get turned off by the look of a data table and so on. So we've got to kind of think about the characteristics, let's say, of our teams, not just in terms of their seniority, but in terms of their ability to absorb and comprehend data. So many different ways in which you can do that. You can do it through... Simple color coding of a chart and simple, you know, making sure that the client's bit of the pie chart stands out more prominently than the rest of them. All these kinds of just simple tricks and use of bold and use of emphasis and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, there's those kinds of skills. I think also just a skill around kind of curiosity and not accepting the first answer that's given. When I entered the industry, everything... Was produced by humans. More and more of that now is being produced by computers, algorithms, and machines. But I still take the same approach, which is about assuming that there are errors riddled, you know, there are errors throughout the data set and everything needs fixing. And I think that that's a skill that I think many of us need to continue in this next phase of our professional lives as more and more. AI takes over, we've heard lots of warnings about the hallucinations that are produced in AI answers and the, you know, you can ask the same question to an AI tool five times and get five different answers. So one has to be curious about the data and and not believe the first answer that's given necessarily. Assume that there's probably some data cleanup that needs to happen when you're working on a piece of analysis, that there were going to be outliers that sort of don't fit in your scheme and perhaps might not need to be excluded from your data sets and just feeling confident about really looking into the detail of each kind of line that fits through to your data to be able to get those kind of meaningful answers back. I think those are some of the skills that we need. And I think it's a really important skill, not just for measurement people and people in the PR agencies, but for for people that work in comms teams just more generally. And I know we're both involved in the socially mobile scheme as well. And I think I'm really proud that there is a measurement element to that element of the teaching within socially mobile because I think the measurement and the ability to communicate and tell an interesting story about your performance within a comms department is the way that you, as a professional, are going to move up within an organization and perhaps be promoted or get more budget. So I think these are crucial for all parts of the comms ecosystem.
0: Yeah. Something else that they do well with social Mobile, and Watson and I touched it on the last podcast, was how your role does suddenly change from when you want to and then move into more of a management role you go from sort of the doing of pr activity execution of media relations and things like that to then suddenly management and understanding organizational management and they do cover that quite well and i think that again is really important even when we're thinking about measurement you touched on it earlier like understanding what a management role cares about in terms of outcomes and reports in comparison to the day-to-day metrics that we're looking at with PR so definitely two areas that are important.
1: I was going to say but also that sort of brings me back to the measurement element is often it's left to the more junior members of the team to do the measurement and you're expecting them with perhaps the least level of skills and the least level of management and leadership experience to be talking the language of business. PR teams that do great in measurement are those who have leaders within those PR agencies that really get measurement or really root for it. And so it's about maybe the leaders not knowing how to do the pivot tables, but at least being enthusiastic about their teams, having those that knowledge. There's these kind of disconnects sort of structurally within our system, I think, that need moving around as well.
0: Yeah, it's exactly the point that I was about to come on to. I was about to ask you, you know, what kind of mix (laughs) do you think you need? Because you can't, exactly your point, you can't expect somebody who is doing the day to day media relations to understand what a business owner or yeah as somebody on the board actually wants to see in terms of metrics in a report so with that in mind should it i guess we're saying yes it should it be measurement should be considered across every level of an agency
1: yeah, I think the most interesting pieces of measurement that work, that I've worked on is when I've worked with perhaps more senior comms leaders who are asking the really interesting questions and are allowing us as measurement folks to work really collaboratively with them from the beginning so that you can begin to see how their mind works. I mean, it wasn't until 20 years into my career that I was asked to go out and be on site with a client during financial results and I got to go to my first ever press conference how my life and my career might have been better and I might have uh, achieved much more had I had that kind of exposure to this kind of live PR life earlier in my career. There's it's this concept of almost being on secondment in each other's agencies. That's why I think podcasts such as yours are so important because it gives us an insight into how other practitioners in, in different parts of comms work. But I think it it requires an element of leadership, but then it also requires a sort of curious doer that can go away and take a little tangent, take a brief, but actually also not be afraid to just veer from the path. And again, that's another reason why I worry a little bit about AI and everybody's excitement about AI now, because AI is very much about following a certain path. You ask a question, it gives you an answer, you take a certain direction. And I found that over the years, my most interesting client insights have come from when I've diverged from the brief and gone off on a little tangent because the data was taking me that way. And I don't know how computers and AI systems can account for that. And that's the joy of a human brain is to be able to just think a little bit differently and take a different direction. And I think that that's the kind of quality one needs in a measurement and analytics team as well. That yeah. just thinking slightly differently from the norm.
0: Interesting. You talked about two uh, smashing together or comparing or looking for correlations between two data sets, getting quite practical. What should people be thinking about when they're looking at two different data sets? What does that actually mean? Like, should they be looking at articles and then what the output? You can look
1: at articles and web hits. You can look at articles versus search over time, I suppose it's the ability to know that you've got two data sets that have two metrics which are similar, i.e. a kind of a time-bound data set. You know, has it got a date field? If there are two sets of date fields and it breaks that information down by date, then that's interesting because you can mash the two together. You can compare things, how they perform on a day-by-day basis or week-by-week basis. So it's, it's knowing that there are those kind of comparable Similar elements to those data sets that allows you to be able to bring them together. And then knowing when a data set you know makes sense to plot on a graph and other times not. You know, there have been occasions where we've suggested to clients that we track share price over time against the media coverage. And I've had many examples why that is not the case. You know, there are many other reasons why share prices go up and down, not just media coverage. There might be a competitor story, there might be World War III happening in the background. There might be, you know, massive geopolitical things happening that are making massive structural changes to a particular share price on a particular day. It's about knowing potentially what's out there, what's available to you, and some data sources are sometimes more easily available than others. You know, the search data, weather patterns, passenger numbers. If you're working in hospitality or tourism these kind of open source data sets can be really fascinating and can be overlaid against sales caps in the fmcg sector you know weather versus ice cream sales you know you've heard all these kind of examples said before but i think it is fascinating when you can open your eyes to what else is out there
0: Definitely. I think on that note, you, you talked about earlier getting access to analytics and gosh, I hear so, so many times how challenging it is for people to just, when they say, can we have access to analytics? No. Or why? And sometimes clients are sort of fearful that something might be changed. But there is a hard no, which I do think can be changed, actually, if you're showing what you're going to do with it, like a graph or something. But there are so many public available data sources, like you said, like Google Trends even, and even SimilarWeb, that we use their traffic data sources within coverage book, but you can put any website into there. So even if you can't get analytics access to look at traffic, you could get an estimation from SimilarWeb, for example. Okay.
1: I know, and it's fascinating because it tells you the the regional breakdown for particular websites. It shows you where else, which other websites they've come to, so it gives you an indication of the kind of clustering of the audiences. So there's so much data readily. It, it's knowing which makes sense to compare against each other or track against each other, and which don't.
0: So, do you think um, so for people who are starting this year afresh? really wanting to get into this and measure and report better for their clients. Is that something that they should start with? Is that like a first step, like looking at each client and thinking about what data sets would be important to look at this year?
1: I think just start simple. So just start with the one data set. Have you got some good coverage coming through? Can you do something more meaningful with that coverage apart from just reporting on it? I like to just kind of go back to first principles and one of the kind of ways I break it down when speaking with PR clients particularly is going back to probably what they first learned if they ever went to PR school or did an apprenticeship or so on, which is that what are the key ingredients to a good press release? And I know we're talking slightly analogue language now because not everything's about what's in a press release, but it's important in the first sentence, isn't it, of a press release to talk about who, what, where, why, and when. And if you said that at the beginning, then kind of the rest of the press release is kind of just padding, isn't it? And so I like to encourage my clients to think of their measurement from the point of view of who, what, where, why, and when, because then that sort of makes it easy for them to remember. So who is things like, who are the journalists that are talking about you? Who are the commentators that are writing about your brand? Or perhaps, who you know, which are the spokespeople that are talking in your media coverage? How well are they performing? You know, what are they saying about you? What's the messaging? What kind of sentiment is there about your organisation? The why is about, well, what are the objectives that you had in the first place? Why were you doing this? What were you trying to achieve? And also, why did this coverage come to be? What activity did you do as a comms team to create this moment? Was it a social media post? Was it a press release? Did you hold an event? You know, were you reacting to a particular issue? So those kind of questions can be an interesting way to structure your evaluation. The where is about things like, Which publications were you in? What was the reach of those publications? All that kind of stuff. And then, of course, the when goes back to this pivoting over time and trends over time is when, uh, what were the trends? You know, when was it being shared? Does it correlate with links back to the website and so on? So I think just kind of starting with those five kind of key ideas can be an interesting way to get people to think about, well, what are the key things that you should be looking at when you're looking at your media coverage and other elements of your comms campaign to, yeah. to see how well it's performed. So that's a tip I'd like to share.
0: I guess from starting there, then the skill sets or help that you might need will become apparent based on the team that you're in, I suppose, once you actually see what you need to do for each of your clients. Do you need outside help? Do you need new technology? Because I'm guessing it's not one size fits all.
1: No, I think it's going to be different for every organisation. And you find the skills amongst the most unexpected places. You know, you probably got an amazing data blender, but they might be sitting in your accounts department. So go and talk to them, you know. Your graphic design team are going to be really good at helping you with your data visualizations, so learn from them there's There's so much skill within our organization just because that person doesn't have that particular skill. It's likely that that skill set sits somewhere else within the organization. unless you're a small organization such as myself, then you have to do everything you to to you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, Steph, this has been amazing. So many practical tips for everybody this year, and hopefully we'll start to see some newcomers as well in the Amec Awards at the end of next year. But how can people follow you or get in touch if they need your help over this year of measurement?
1: Yeah, probably best look out for me on LinkedIn, Steph Bridgman. I'm not on Twitter so much anymore, but I am under my Twitter handle at Steph Bridgman. But yeah, I'm most active on LinkedIn. It's uh, LinkedIn itself is fascinating. From a point of view of measurement, it's fascinating. It's hard to get the data for LinkedIn, but the engagement statistics are probably some of the best for all of the clients that we work with amongst all of the different social media platforms that our clients work on. So LinkedIn is a really, really valuable part of any organization's communication strategy, and not just B2B actually, in other sectors too. So look for me there any difficult measurement questions to me i love a measurement challenge and always happy to share advice and willingly do so through you know I mentioned Amake at the beginning of the session but make puts out a lot of free content and shares a lot of the information and is very generous with its time of all of its members you know all of its members give time freely to share best practice and knowledge so yeah please follow what amic do i'm very much involved in its education initiatives and it's all about demystifying some of the terms which are perceived to be complex, but when you really boil it down, it, it's, it's real.
0: Steph, thank you so, so much for your time. Yeah. Cheers, Cheers. Stella. That was the PR Resolution podcast. If you want to learn more about emerging areas of PR, join the PR Resolution and head to blog.coveragebook.com. Stay in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales and make sure you subscribe to the series to get the next episode.